We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into other podcasts, pop culture, and this week we'll talk about the latest episode of In the Dark, which accomplishes more in one episode than other podcasts accomplish in whole seasons. Then we're off to Ireland for a mysterious death in Atlantic from the Irish Times. Joining me to get that done and a whole lot more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, and very sexy thyroid cancer Demi Moore voice guy, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Kevin, how is your voice holding up? I know you've been, like, not talking during the day. Yeah, I've been trying to keep it down. I just went to the doctor today, got an ultrasound, and they see um, a... Fisher? No, a... A golf? They see a, a hematoma. Yes. They think it's a hematoma, which is... Good because it'll on your vocal cords. Uh, yeah, or right next to it, and, and it'll uh, it'll resolve itself. So we'll just we'll just see. I'll try to take care of it. So you're basically telling our audience I don't have to hear this for the rest of their <laughs> podcast listening lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows? Who knows? There's it's not damage. It's just gonna take a little while to heal. But if they do have to hear it, can I tell you? Yeah. I'm still gonna go on record as saying I think it's sexy. I don't think it's bad. Well, then maybe I won't fix it. Just leave the pants on. That's all I have to say. <laughs> oh my goodness. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura Bricker. Good evening, Rebecca Lavoie. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right. So quickly on to the chat and promotional part of our podcast. Kevin, we're going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival next weekend. Yeah. It's like a one-day festival in Chicago. It's at the uh, the Marriott downtown. Yes. And I mean, there's going to be representatives from over 100 different podcasts. And we're doing a live show. Yeah, about 2 or 2.30, I think. And we're going to talk about Exhibit A from Netflix in our live show. Yeah, so I think there's only four episodes. So if you're coming, you want to do a little homework, catch those four episodes of Exhibit A. It's going to be a very fun festival. I'm very excited about it. All right, the other thing, the other thing I want to mention is that there is a new Leave it to Bricker episode available on Patreon. And as always, Laura Bricker delivers with a tour of Nashville that includes hot chicken, hot guys, 
and a hot host of the Undisclosed podcast, Riding a Bull. So congratulations to you, Laura, on producing that episode for our Patreon fans. Thank you. I mean, you know what? These things just happen to come up in front of me, and thankfully, I now have a recorder to document them. <laughs> so I'm assuming uh, that Kevin and I are the hot, hot guys? Yes. Yeah. You are the, no, it's nope. the, the hot guy that Rebecca identified no, um, that, I, that I sprung up oh to interview. God. I don't know, Toby, both and you Toby and I made it, like, but... You saw him. You guys are in it. Yeah, Toby, I'm, you have a big part. Toby has a big role in the latest Leave it to Bricker. Kevin, you saw that hot guy. I did, but Toby's hotter. He's I, I am now, so that one is out, and I have been alerted by one of our regular listeners who I, Gretchen McBride, history-loving, cat-loving, Exeter-area person, that there was a... Um, historical gun recently found in Exeter during an excavation at one of our little history museums. Yes. So I'm on it. All right. We can't wait. Go get it, Annie. Some weapons forensics going on in the next episode of Leave it to Bricker. It's all very exciting. And on this week's episode of the Crime Writers on After Show, we're going to be talking about some stuff we did not review on this podcast, including the new season of Handmaid's Tale and Dead to Me from Netflix. We're going to be talking about them briefly on this week's Crime Writers on After Show, which you can listen to right now in your Patreon feed. One more announcement. Mm-hmm. This is the one that our listeners hate, but I'm just going to mm. throw it out there. This is the start of our summer schedule, but it is shorter than other summers past. Mm. We're going to every other week, but we're doing it for a much shorter time than we have in previous summers because... We now have a contract with our uh, ad agency. (laughs) Um, So we're going to be every other week for just the next few weeks. And just to let you guys know, every other week isn't something we do to diss you. It is something that we do so that we can continue making this podcast and loving making this podcast, but also get some damn time off in the only weeks in New Hampshire where it's actually nice to go outside. So we'll be back dropping a new episode on July 22nd. That's right. That's our next new episode that we're dropping. So that's bad news to you. I'm sorry, but just think of it this way. You can download us twice next time. It's a good time to uh, check out Patreon. A hundred percent. It's a good time to check out yeah, Patreon. Yeah, because there'll still be some Patreon episodes out there. There's all kinds and, of stuff. Um, yeah. All right. You guys ready to move on to our first review of the evening? Yes. yes I'm ready. Following the United States Supreme Court striking down Curtis Flowers' conviction, the In the Dark team has returned with what could be the final episode of season two of In the Dark. This is In the Dark, an investigative podcast by APM Reports. I'm Madeline Barron. Madeline Barron's team seems to tie up the case's two loose ends by getting a key eyewitness to recant her testimony and shaking the alibi of the crime's strongest alternative suspect. So you were with her when that happened? Um, oh, you're confusing me. <laughs> me and oh, yeah, Tawanda was out of town. I don't know. I don't know what she told you. Evidently, she didn't want to talk to you. If she told you what she told you, that's fine. I was nowhere around. I've been clear. So if you guys were together... I don't understand how she said that. Hmm. The Polk Award-winning podcast, by the way, that is a very prestigious journalism award. From Long Island University. Yes, saved some of its most compelling journalism for its final hour, accomplishing more in 56 minutes than most podcasts do in an entire series. I'm just going to like underline that because it is true. After eviscerating the remaining evidence in the prosecutor's case, the only question is, what else could In the Dark possibly 
do. Now, we are going to be talking about plot points from the most recent episode of In the Dark, episode 15. So if you want to remain spoiler free, please go to the time code listed in our show notes for our thumbs way up review of In the Dark, (laughs) episode 15. Now, I'm curious, um, Kevin, this episode was presented in three chapters. Chapter one, they're very transparent. Curtis Flowers' new attorney and his new chances after the Supreme Court ruling. Uh, Chapter two, the alternative suspect with a, quote, airtight alibi. And chapter three, them completely taking down the key root witness in the Curtis Flowers case. You were the one who wrote in the script that this episode accomplished more in 56 minutes than any other podcast in the whole season. Do you stand by that? I I do. I do because look in in we'll call it the you know the regular season of of season two. Madeline and her team went through every piece of evidence. They found all of those root witnesses. Just about. They all said that their statements that they gave the investigator were, were wrong. They picked apart all the forensics. They located a different gun. You know, they really eviscerated everything. But like you say, well, how do you wrap the whole thing? What more do you need? Well, how about looking at an alternative suspect? They gave us one, but didn't give us a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, we finally get Willie James Hempel to break a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. He broke. You mean to go off the damn rails. But what are we supposed to do with that that your alibi doesn't check out? I want you to say that you're some bullshit and I want you to stay away from me. Thank you. You're harassing me. You're harassing me right now. But Parker still needed to ask Hemphill a critical question. Did you commit the murders at Tardy Furniture? Did you? No. Are you a slut? Are you a whore? No. You sell pussy for interviews? No. Well, leave me the fuck alone. I mean, yeah, he showed his true colors. What did you think about the fact that In the Dark has been reporting these other lingering issues, you know, during this whole time? You know, this was recorded, you know, Madeline says in her tracking 11 days after the decision, she recorded the episode. But immediately after the decision, they were continuing reporting. But they were also, I think, in previous episodes, looking at some of these things. What was your reaction to this episode when you heard it? Um. Wow. So I wasn't rage walking like normal because I fucked up my back a couple weeks ago at the gym. So I was laying on my bed listening to it and I was just like, oh, my God, wait. Oh, my God. So I I was rage laying. I was rage laying on my bed with Felix and Rocky Flintstone, the cat. And I was like, wow. So I think it surprised me because I guess it shouldn't have surprised me. But I guess like in my mind, I didn't actually think that they were still following up on all these other leads to the point that they were when this episode came out. And it was so complete and so diligent. And so, I mean, they really, I mean, holy shit. It was just tremendous. The amount of information that they unearthed, uncovered, uh, went after, recorded, and reported in this episode. Um, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't say it was like Christmas, and it was just like, I was a little bit stunned, like, wow. Um, but it was like a wow, like, oh, this is why, again, In the Dark is as good as it is because of reporting and investigating like we saw in this episode. Toby, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd i sort of echo what everybody else said. I was a little bit worried going into it just because there's just leading up to it, it's, you know, in the dark, it's, you know, it's the gold standard and here's another episode and the Supreme court has already happened. And what can they bring to the table? And it's just like, they, they stuck another landing is, is super compelling. You know, like Kevin said, it's like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what else you would want. What could you possibly ask? Yeah. I mean, they've, somebody I, mean, to I confess. think that was the one yeah. thing. 
that the the one thing you could say was missing, I guess, was like an alternative theory of the crime. Mm. You know, I think they 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 sort of brought up some possibilities, but this really kind of nailed it. And it's not reasonable to expect somebody to confess. And I I think they were admirable in sort of letting the conversation speak for themselves rather than feeling like they had to like highlight it or whatever. So you don't, you don't get that weird feeling of like, okay, well they're accusing this guy and instead they, they talk to him and let him, you know, sort, Hang of, himself. sort of do it to himself. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's hard to believe all the stuff that's kind of happened since like the first couple episodes we listened to and we're like, I remember talking, it's like, is this something that we should really be doing like a week by week thing instead of just doing like a one off or, you know, halfway and then at the end or whatever. And it was like, no, maybe we should, we, we should probably do this week <laughs> by week. Yeah. And then it so turned much. into what it was. And then the Supreme court thing. And now this, it's been a pretty wild sort of podcasting event, I guess. Listen, at this point, if I were like, if someone put out a little gun to my head and said, you need to choose, are you crime writers on serial or crime writers on in the dark? I know yeah. which way I would choose. <laughs> I'm not yeah. kidding. Like this podcast and the reporting behind it and the way they've done it has transcended everything else we've talked about. Can I talk about one thing that is very un in the dark? Yes. Style wise. Parker. Yes. Parker Yesko. Very good. When they finally get to talk to Willie James Temple, she directly asks a provocative question. Which is, did you do it? Did you murder the people at Tardy Furniture? Which, if you go back and think about all the other stuff, never happens. Madeline doesn't do anything like that. She very much, her style is very much kind of laid back and tell me more and why would you say that? And, oh, really? Which is a, a good technique. It, it does fit them. But at no time did, did anyone ever go, well, Doug Evans, aren't you a racist? You know? Right. Yeah. So to ask that question directly of Willie James Hempel was something that sort of I'd say a little bit out of character, for but not wrong. Right. And was a yeah. fantastic piece of tape. Well, I want to talk about that yeah. because on yeah. our Facebook group, there was this whole conversation, which I want to touch on in a couple of ways, but not touch on in others, which is basically A, is everyone worried about Parker and her danger? And I'm just going to say this. Parker was just doing her, her job as a <laughs> yeah. journalist. And if she was a man, nobody would wonder if she was in danger. So I'm just going to put a pin in that one. But the second one was about that scene. Like we've talked about many podcasts and how they put people in the frame for a crime mm -hmm. and how that's not responsible and how it's not this and how it's like if a person wasn't arrested or wasn't named, whatever, is it OK? This guy was actually pursued as a suspect, but the prosecution hid that so let's just first start with the fact that this happened in a courthouse. Yeah, why but, does that make it work? And well, why does that like mitigate well, all of our fears about everything else? Well, well, because you know exactly what time this gentleman's going to show up. Right. He's going to show up in a place where he needs to be, in a public place, where you've gone through a metal detector, and you really can't misbehave. Right. You know, uh, you know there are limits on what you can do. So to be able to confront someone, uh, journalistically confront them in, a, in the hallway of a courthouse... You know, he can't leave. He's got to stick around for his thing. It's it's uh, it's the perfect place to sort of corner him. And he's on public record as being a person who's committed crimes. Yeah. And they have the backup of him. And he nearly, he nearly sank his own alibi. Oh, his own airtight his alibi? His own airtight Which alibi. Which I don't think he knows what the word airtight means. <laughs> well, it's good. He says airtight, airtight and people alibi. don't press any further. When Tawanda is supposed to be your alibi... And she says she wasn't with you. She remembered being at the Piggly Wiggly. 
he was about to say, yeah, I was with her, and then we left, which would have put him in Winona at the time of the homicide, Yeah, which would have been really bad, but I think he thought better of it. Yeah. But we already know that he wasn't with her at the Piggly Wiggly. Right. So, Toby, did you see some of the uh, is Parker safe, did in the dark course things out of people for this episode conversation on our Facebook page? I'm just curious about what you think about the journalism they did here. Was it all fair game or was there anything that made you uncomfortable? You know, things can be fair game and make me uncomfortable, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, so I, I think the one thing is at 20 years later or 23 years later, whatever it is, people's memories are not reliable. So to a certain extent, it's like asking people about what happened on a specific day 23 years ago, and then what the answer they're going to give, I guess it could be right, but there's just no way of knowing. It's not really a criticism of their journalism because, you know, what are you supposed to do? Like, you got to ask them about it. Um, But here's my question, Toby. So like, they're asking about things that happened 20 years ago, but I don't feel like they're asking Clemmy, for instance, to say... What happened 20 years ago? They're asking her, what were the circumstances that got you to testify in six trials? And then her memory is like, I saw him running one day and I said it. And the next thing I knew, I was being pressured by a prosecutor to testify six times. That's very different than remembering exactly what happened 20 years ago. Right. But then uh, then the one woman was was talking about, well, you know, I, I remember it because I went out of the Piggly Wiggly and then these people said this and then I knew this and yes, you know, but she, and that's th- how that I, was, I didn't take them. Exactly. And who knows? It could have been the next day that she was at the Piggly Wiggly and somebody mentioned it to her and that was the first she'd heard of it. I yeah. mean, it, you know, you just don't know. So, so that kind of thing, it's like, it, it's interesting, but I don't know if I would like take it to the bank as being like absolutely what actually happened. Hmm. Again, it's like, what do you, what are you supposed to do? Like, especially if you're a journalist- you know, were you supposed to not talk to them because that's right? That could be the case. Yeah. You that's know? right. I mean, they're not jurors, right? Um, and they're not so, lawyers. Anyway. They're not. They're not trying to exonerate Curtis Flowers. They're just trying to show the flaws in the case. And the flaw in the case isn't what Bernadette or Tawanda like remembers and remember. It's how it's the process and how they were brought in that matters. And the key here is like. Jack Johnson and Doug Evans, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they're the figures behind this whole thing that like got people to do things that they regret doing. And not just this case. Yeah. Other cases too. Exactly. Because that's what the new lawyer guy, that's what he was all Your about. Your boyfriend? He, I love that guy. I know. Oh I knew God. you would. I knew I, it. I'm going to go down and help him run against Doug Evans. I'm going to help him go <laughs> capture Doug Evans, the, the bee, and squish him. But I love that it was somebody who has beaten Doug Evans multiple times. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, this case, what did he say? Like, it's time for this case to come to an end. Yeah, no shit. No yep. shit. No shit. Thank you. Amen. I love you. Okay. Now, Kevin, Clemmy Fleming, who is the second major witness to recant to this team after Cookie Holman. Basically, the two witnesses that provided the linchpin evidence that sent a man to death row, Cookie Holman and now Clemmy Fleming, has basically said, I didn't tell the truth and here's why. And she says she won't testify again. Do you think the In the Dark team, we hear them, like, convincing her to talk to them? I'll talk to them. She'll talk to them They're on here today, Clemmy. Clemmy got up and came out. She was wearing red pajama pants printed with pink and white hearts. She sat down next to her sister, Mariella, on the couch. Hey, Miss Clemmy. Hi. Thank you so much. 
I'm, I, I know it's rough to get woken up, and I'm, I'm really grateful that you're willing to sit down. You want to grab a seat? Marielle had mentioned um, that you wanted to talk, and I'm kind of here to listen. And you can imagine, as folks on our Facebook page said, that Doug Evans would use that tape and say, oh, she was coerced to lie once again just to them for their radio uh, program. Uh. Oh, don't do the Doug Evans voice. But you can imagine crazy. that. Yes, I can imagine that. That's why I, I hate him. Kevin, do you think that what the In the Dark team did with Clemmy Fleming to get her to tell her side of the story and basically just like saying like she didn't want to talk, then eventually she invited them in and did talk. Fair game or not fair game? Fair, fair game for whom? For journalism, yeah. for the story. Yeah, absolutely. Does it matter what Doug Evans might or might not do with that tape? No, because I, I feel like the tape hurts Doug Evans far more than it helps him. Right. I mean, certainly they've established this pattern because if he tries to call Cookie and he tries to call Clemmy and they decide that they're going to give the same story they did before, then the defense comes out and hits play on the things that really, you said this, yeah. turn to the jury. So which is it? No, I agree. And I think the thing that people need to understand is that like the In the Dark team is they're not like advocates for Curtis Flowers. They're telling a story and like doing journalism around it. And sometimes that means that you will hear that journalism, like we heard them go back to that uh, Tawanda's house like 15 times. They put a lot of tape into showing how they got her to talk. In this case, it's important, don't you think? Right. In a way that another podcast, when it's done in a ham-fisted way, here's me making a phone call again, here's me knocking on the door again, it actually matters in this case because the context is these witnesses and these alibi folks are disinclined to talk because of the previous experiences they have had with law enforcement and this prosecutor. Yeah. So it makes sense, right. right? And what makes her very credible to me is her statement that she said that she has prayed on this every day, that this has been hurting her. Clemmy, yeah. Clemmy, for many, many years. I find that kind of thing to be very convincing as opposed to, well, you know, I just didn't, you know, wasn't sort of casual. She certainly seemed to be, you know, bearing the weight of her decision and has been for a long time. All right. I just want to play one more clip of the super charming Willie James Hemphill and how he responded to Parker, reporter Parker, <laughs> and my former NHPR colleague, Brita Green, when they confronted him at that courthouse. You didn't answer my question before. And I'm not going to answer it. Did you commit the murders at Tardy Hell Frank? No. Were you on Front Street that day? No. Where were you? I was in your pussy. Super nice guy, right? Sure. <laughs> Southern charm. <laughs> oh, my God. So, you know, up until now, I've been trying to kind of give this guy the benefit of the doubt. But when he went on this big tirade, I was like, you know, you don't just go on this big tirade. I mean, granted, it doesn't sound like he respects women a lot, but it sounds like there's a little something going on. And so I'm just going to say Parker and Brita. Yeah, good for them. And I was like cheering them on as he was just being a total fucking asshole. And they didn't lose their cool. They kept asking the questions they needed to ask. And back to what Kevin was talking about earlier, where they actually came out and asked him, like, did you kill these people? You know what? This is the opportunity you have. You may not see this guy again. You, you got to take the opportunity when you have it. And they did it in a respectful way. He was just being an asshole. And I think... That just sends up a lot of red flags. Yeah, it's not like Brian from S-Town where, 
Oh, that's the killer over there? Oh, maybe I'll talk to him next I'm time. I'm not really feeling it. I'm not feeling it. Let <laughs> me <laughs> go back to this weird barber shop. Give it to some women. So, Kevin, I was listening to this episode of In the Dark. Halfway through it, I paused it and said to one of my coworkers, holy shit, I think In the Dark is actually going to solve this case, which was not the goal of the podcast. Do you think they're on their way to actually solving this case? I mean, it's very possible. If solving the case means you also have to identify the real killer, well, then I I don't really want to throw shade at Willie James Hempel and say that he did it. They certainly have made a strong case for reasonable doubt and that he is a very strong suspect. And they have certainly done it in a way that the authorities have not and probably won't attempt to. They've just been a wrecking ball to what has been a we're going to phone this in prosecution and we're just going to make their evidence look like it fits the facts. Right. And it really doesn't. Well, let's just do what we do. I want this panel to give thumbs up or thumbs down review for this standalone episode of season two of In the Dark called Revelations, episode 15. I kind of feel like it's a whole podcast in one episode. Laura Bricker, thumbs up or thumbs up for episode 15 <laughs> of In the Dark, season two, Revelations. Um, Two hands, two feet, two legs, two thumbs. Even though I can't move anymore because I threw my back out, I will do it for this episode because... This episode reminds everybody why this podcast is, I think, the best podcast we've ever listened to. Yeah. This was absolutely tremendous. And just when I thought it couldn't get any better, it got better. And then it ends with a very emotional sort of reminder of why they're doing what they do. That's right. Absolutely. I love all of them. And someday I hope to be real friends with Madeline Barron. Oh, you will. I'll make it happen. Toby Ball, uh, would you like to give your thumbs up or thumbs way up review for episode 15 of season two? Am I I loading it? Am I like faking it? It's okay. Uh, Would you like to give your thumbs up or thumbs way, way up for episode 15 of season two of In the Dark? Revelations. Toby Ball, what do you think? See, this is why people think that you tell us what we're supposed to say. That's right. Yeah. In this case, it's true. Yeah. I mean, we're all going to give a thumbs up. And the reality is, is that if you haven't listened to it yet, it's actually better than, you know, what you think you're hearing us say it is. (laughs) I I don't know really how they did it (laughs) based on the fact that they did like a complete series already that we thought was the best series. And then they somehow managed to get this in there too. It's, it's just, it's just really good. I agree. I think it was just about perfect. I'm going to give episode 15 of season two of in the dark revelations Two thumbs up plus my whatever the big toe and the feet are called up. Uh, your big toe. It might be. What about your foot cast and your bone stimulator? Yes, true. It might be <laughs> one of the best single episodes <laughs> of a true crime podcast we've ever listened to because it landed the plane in so many ways, knocked out a witness, revealed a potential suspect in a way that was journalistically responsible and incredible. And laid out what's going to happen next and delivered the emotional gut punch at the end with Archie's church choir once again singing those very soulful songs. What about you, Kevin? You know how much I respect this show is that I couldn't interrupt you to question about the bone stimulator. (laughs) (laughs) I was just trying to put more devices and feet and hands and arms up in the air for the show. It's a stupid medical device that I had to buy that doesn't work and I still have to have surgery on my ankle. What about you, Kevin? I've, I've said it before and I think maybe it's the best thing I've ever said about anybody. Somewhere in the world, there is a better journalist than Madeline Barron. Is there? 
but I don't know who that is. <laughs> and there is a better podcast, a more substantial podcast than In the Dark. I just don't know what it's called because this is the gold standard. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Moving on. The Irish Times podcast Atlantic examines the unsolved mystery of Peter Bergman, a tourist found dead on a beach in County Sligo in 2009. The question remains, not how did he die, but who was Peter Bergman? Atlantic is the story of a man who set out to disappear. Ten years after he was found washed up on a Sligo beach in Ireland, and despite thousands of hours of police investigations, his true identity remains unknown. This three-part series hosted by reporter Rosita Bolin looks at the decade-long effort to learn Bergman's true identity and why he went to Sligo to disappear and perhaps to die. We are going to be talking about plot points for Atlantic, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Toby Ball, question for you. Okay. An unknown person goes to a small northern place and dies with labels out of his clothing and his identity unknown. Did you or did you not think, wait, didn't we hear this in Death in Ice Valley? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for both, like you can tell why it's like a compelling setup. It's the kind of thing that you hope to come up with to write a suspense fiction. Yeah. So, yeah, just like on the face of it, it's like the perfect setup. Setting has a huge part in why this is a good setup. I mean, Laura, the sort of like uh, Irish setting of Sligo and the way we sort of hear the people talk about the setting and the place and the setup for this mystery. How much does that add to the story for you? For me, that was, you know, we were listening to this and I'm like, wait, is this fiction no wait this is a real story because the narrator style and then describing the area where it happened and then they're talking about the poet William Butler Yeats and like this is where he grew up and that's really the only reason that somebody would visit this place like people are not going to visit this place this this particular area of Ireland on the regular Ireland tour even though the people there would disagree 
<laughs> yeah, I know. Don't Except add us for her. Go. <laughs> so it was just, you know, listening to the description of the place, but also listening to the voices of the people who lived there. The clothes were actually folded as you would fold them yourself. It was as if he had taken off his shoes, then taken off his socks, put his socks into his shoes, then his trousers. And then I think there was a black kind of V-neck jumper and then a black jacket, all folded nice and neatly, one on top of the other, just left in a nice regular pile on top of the rock. It just added such a sense of depth to this podcast that I just absolutely loved. And I think that's where it differed from Death and Ice Valley is that the storytelling was, I think, much better executed here. Now, Kevin, you have an Irish bias. <laughs> I do. We just put it out there. How did you feel about the delivery, the setting, the people, the voices we hear in this podcast? So it wasn't quite as bright as West Cork. Mm. And I would like to say that those characters that they talked to were very colorful, the locals. I will say, though, again, after listening to this, that I think even the taxi drivers there think that they're James Joyce when they're writing emails. <laughs> it's, it's just, there is just a sort of this, you know, wonderful use of language that's unique to the Irish. And, you know, I certainly liked those little details. You know, the, the problem, of course, is that this is a story with, not a story with no ending, but it's a mystery with no solvable answer. You know, even though we know that straight up, and so the, the podcast isn't promising that they're going to solve the, the mystery, so we as listeners kind of know what we should expect. That kind of podcast brings its own set of challenges. Okay, so I have one production note I want to make about this podcast, which I was listening to it. It's only three episodes long, and the whole time I was listening to it, I was thinking, damn it, this reminds me of something. The narration style, the music. I can't figure out what it reminds me of. And then I thought about what it was and it like dawned on me and I made a little clip to show you guys what it reminds me of. Each time he returned after going out with this full plastic bag, he was not carrying anything. Like so much else about this case, it's unclear if he was coming back with the same bag now folded unseen into one of the pockets. From Pacific Northwest Stories and Minnow Beats Whale, it's season two of the Black Tapes podcast. I'm Alex Regan. This season, we're continuing our exploration of the Strand Institute's enigmatic president and founder, Dr. Richard Strand. So literally, oh the narration of this podcast <laughs> bought music from the same place that the producers of the Black Tapes podcast, and I actually got in touch with oh Paul Bay God. today, who was behind that podcast, and I was like, did you hear this? And he's like, no, 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 I'm so happy they're supporting this musician. And I'm like, I am too. However... It sounds fucking exactly like yeah. the Black Tapes oh podcast. Oh, my God. At least one of them has an wow. accent. <laughs> so is Dr. Strand, is that the whole idea? Is that he's that guy? So is this a black tape? Is that what, what's he's, going on? He's Peter Bergman. He's part of the aliens. Peter Bergman's an alien. <laughs> or something. <laughs> wow. He's the smoking man. Yeah. But here's my question for you, Kevin. So you were talking about like everything we've heard so far. As Toby says, it is all the setup for a great mystery. Laura talked about sense of place. But then you also said, like, this is a mystery that, like, probably is not going to be solved. And Rosita, the reporter, tells us that we're only hearing this because she's fascinated by it and obsessed mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. Is that enough of a reason to make the story? I don't really care about reasoning why if you can deliver the goods. So if you can tell a compelling enough story. But, you know, the idea that this is just going to be three episodes, great. If this were ten episodes, I would be throwing myself off the shore of the Dead Man's Point in Sligo. And again, it's the kind of thing, like, I, I'm hoping to put this out there so somebody will get this message in the bottle 
and tell us who this guy is, even though it's been 10 years and Interpol and all this other stuff. I think it just has to be told in a way that is interesting to us, the listeners, and it's fine if it, if it doesn't have an ending because there are a lot of great podcasts we have that don't have that have ambiguous endings. Serial season one. Serial one? season one is yeah. an excellent example, uh, probably the best example you can you can have. So you don't have to solve the mystery, but you know you should be able to tell in a way that makes that makes us when this is done wonder about Peter Bergman and not just say, okay, that's the end of the podcast. What's next? Now, Toby, you're a writer. Have you ever participated in writing workshops? Uh, no. Oh, you haven't. Well, have you ever imagined? <laughs> were you hoping? Were you hoping for a different answer? Yes, I was. I'll pretend that I, I was. Yes. Can you imagine having a shittier experience at a writing workshop <laughs> than the one in which you present your new poem? <laughs> about a man you saw on the beach and in which everyone else in your writing workshop is like, what the fuck? Did you even hear the news? Did you hear the news? Yeah. What was you know, the name of the died, poem right? again? The Golden yeah. Man? The Golden Sunshine Man. The Golden Man. The Golden Man. <laughs> and he too turned to gold, becoming part of this miracle of light. He stood there, a magnificent golden man at one with nature. And when I had finished reading it, there was a kind of a deathly silence in the group. And I said, oh, my God, was it that bad? And they said, did you not hear? And I said, hear what? Yeah, that was really weird. <laughs> yeah, everybody thinks they're... I mean, I don't I know. No one it thinks they're Oscar Wilde. De- but it gave us such great details about his last hours. Like, honestly... It added to the story for me. So Rosita is basically in this story trying to figure out like who this guy was, why he died, etc. Yeah. But like pretty early on establishes that like he probably came to this place to die mm-hmm. because he had adopted an alias. Too deliberate to do that. Yeah. Right. And like, you know, didn't exactly sneak around town like he was on CCTV going to the post office going to pubs, whatever. But even like with the last days of August, which has a similar theme, the central question is, why did this person kill themselves? That's not the question here. Why did he disappear? Because he was a spy. They asked, why did he want to do this? (laughs) Yeah, he was a hit man. Laura thinks there's something more here. Toby, do you think there's something more here? Or do you think this is just a sad person? Is a guy who was suffering from a disease that was not curable decided to go to this like far ends of the earth place and die. Is there something more? Like what do you Yes. <laughs> Laura, I think you're on record. So I think one of the frustrating things with all this is that the really mysterious things like what is he doing with that purple bag? Yes. Um mm-hmm. and bag. like the letters and the note he like, ripped up. These behaviors that that he's doing which are hard to explain. The gold there's basically there's no there's no way of finding out like or or maybe there is but really not much time is spent trying to figure that stuff out so that you know my my main problem with the with the whole thing was they didn't spend much time on the stuff that I thought was really interesting and instead spent time on stuff that they could kind of figure out which I was kind of like, okay. Yeah, that's how I felt when I heard that Rosita say, I did some research on stamps. I did some research on the stamps. There was a time in Ireland when the cost of postage depended on what part of the world a standard letter was going to, i.e. a letter to Europe cost less than one to Australia. Back in 2009, it cost 55 cents to post a letter to an address in Ireland. 
Right. <laughs> or like, why, why are the clothes folded up? Like, they go through this whole thing about, like, why it's weird that he folded up his clothes at night when there's nobody around. Maybe he's a person so who folds like, oh, his yeah, clothes. He was going to drown himself, and then he had like, a heart maybe attack. That is, maybe that is weird, but then we don't find out anything about it. Mm. So, I don't know. I mean, that, that was sort of my my frustration with it and partly i mean maybe that's because it's non-fiction instead of fiction but it's like you've got this great setup and all this weird stuff going on but then in the end it's like well you know we couldn't really figure out any of that stuff but we did find out he had prostate cancer and we also found out how much stamps cost in 2009 right exactly <laughs> you, well there's two different prices there's the price for ireland and then there's the entire rest of the world all right i feel 82 like 82 cents Laura bricker really (laughs) wants to defend this podcast in a meaningful way because everything that I heard was literally like this could be a fake black tapes or Tannis story. But I feel like, Laura, you got something else out of this and I want to give you the chance. You have the floor. What do you think is going on here in the Irish Times Atlantic podcast? By the way, the name of the podcast is Atlantic from the Irish Times, but the way it's listed in iTunes is it's the so Irish Times up. Atlantic, so it's impossible to find. Laura, it's really hard to find. The and then it's also called Atlantic, the Mysterious Disappearance of Peter Bergman. <laughs> it's very defend confusing. It. Laura, defend it. Go. Well, I'm going to defend it because, uh, number one, it's a really interesting story. And I believe, you know, Rosita, who narrates this and writes this, she does it in such a way that it is, I I think, really compelling the way that she tells the story. And that's why I kept telling you guys, you've got to listen to this. You've got to listen to this. Because she drops little tidbits of information at just the right time to keep the story moving forward and to keep you wanting to listen. But I'm going to tell you, I think there is something very mysterious afoot here, okay? Um, The cappuccino and the toasted sandwich. What's up with that? (laughs) The purple bag. What's up with that? The mysterious little notebook that he takes out that he looks at the piece of paper and then he shreds it up. The mysterious taxi ride to Dead Man's Point. What's up with that? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And then I'm going to tell you, this is my biggest thing. So the purple bag that he leaves with every day and then he dumps all his stuff and he comes back and he's hiding all his stuff, which, by the way, has never been found. So this is why I think he's like a spy or a hitman or something, because he knows how to avoid the CCTV when he's doing something that actually would give us some actual information. So we see him leaving with his little purple paper plastic bag when it's something that doesn't matter. When he's actually disposing of stuff, he's doing it where there's no CCTV, conveniently. I'm just saying, I think there is something mysterious. But either way, I don't even care what's happening here because I could listen to this lady narrate this podcast for like the next five years. It sounds like any of the... Um, really interesting little murder mysteries that I listen to on Audible. So I love it. Or you can just listen to The Thistle and Shamrock with Fiona Ritchie, the Irish folk music show available on every public radio station. But she does not have a mysterious purple bag. That's I'm true. I'm sorry. The purple bag has some things going on. I'm just saying. But Kevin, I have like a forensics question for you. Right. I can't help but think this every time I listen to a story like this. Genetic genealogy is going to solve this case, right? It's very possible. Oh, yeah, yeah it's going yeah. to. They have his At this point, I was like, oh, yeah. They have his DNA. They have all of his shit. Like, the way it's going to be solved is through genetic genealogy. Right. And I'm sending mine in. Maybe he's my relative. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, certainly if we believed he was American, the, the names and the, the information in the those databases would be very strong, and I think he'd have a high likelihood of a hit someplace. So I think even though he's German, Austrian, something like that, you know, I think it, it's more than just who is he. I mean, there is some there is some premeditation here that's 
worth discussing narratively. Mm. I think the other thing that is sort of another theme that comes up in this podcast is like our impressions, our first impressions, and how our first impression of somebody translates into our ongoing narrative of what's going on with someone. Yeah. So everybody's first impression is this guy drowned and he killed himself. And then um, when you get to episode three, it's like, um, surprise, actually, your impression was completely wrong. He probably just had a heart attack and died on the beach because he had prostate cancer. Who knows? He was probably going to drown himself, but I think it's a lot about I think like, how something. we form. Well, they said there was nothing in his system, though. No. But they couldn't just I think, tell later. I think he yeah. meant to kill himself by swimming, and then he had a heart attack because he got in the cold water. Yeah. Isn't that probably what yeah. happened? Could be. Yeah. Probably. Or he also took something thinking like that he would die in a and it would get sucked in. Oh, sucked. That's the perfect murder weapon. I know. I know. I just read about it in one of the many books that I read that Toby made me read. Oh, well, there's a case local to me where they think that might have happened, but mm. I'll tell you that another time. <laughs> Go ahead, Toby. You know, what I was listening to, I was like, oh, it seems like this guy might be mentally ill. Yeah. I mean, there's just no way of knowing, you know, and it's not really her fault or whatever, but it just doesn't seem like there's much evidence for any of his weird doings, so it's really, you know, what do you want to read into it? Right. Well, on that note, I think we should do what we do. Let's review the Irish Times Atlantic, one of the most difficult podcasts to find that we've ever reviewed on this <laughs> show. What, what? Why is it even called Atlantic? I, I know. know Atlantic Ocean. Is that even what it's called, though? That's my question. Yeah. She says this is Atlantic from the Irish Times and the podcast, but the name of the podcast is the Irish Times Atlantic. With yeah. no colon. Well, that's because there's also The Atlantic. The magazine has a podcast. Because it's mysterious. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. There's a lot of mystery. This so weird. is right. our thumbs Sorry. up or thumbs down review for The Irish Times Atlantic or Atlantic from The Irish Times. Good luck finding it, guys. Remember, good year and good rich, both soul tires. Laura Bricker, I know you're going to give it a thumbs up review. Just go ahead and do that and explain yep. why. Um, I'm giving this a thumbs up review because you know what? It is unsatisfying in the fact that the mystery um, is not going to be solved. But I'm going to tell you that the experience of listening to this podcast is a little bit relaxing in a way because the storytelling and the way that the story is told and the narrator's pace, it's a, it's a very sort of stark and basic storytelling style, but it's done in such an effective way. And the way that certain tidbits are released at certain times is perfect. And there's a lot of mystery there. So I'm just going to say there's a lot of, uh, we talked about location porn with Big Little Lies. Yep. We've got some location porn here with Atlantic Irish Times, whatever this podcast is called. <laughs> <laughs> Toy Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the Irish Times Atlantic or Atlantic from the Irish Times? So I, I, I've given it a very minor thumbs down. You know, it's not bad. I mean, it's a super interesting setup. There's a lot of really interesting details, but she doesn't. She's not able to find out anything about that interesting stuff. Yeah. And the stuff that she does find out about isn't really all that interesting. Yeah. So, the progression from setup to end, I just didn't feel like I was enlightened about anything I cared about. But you know, it's it's not objectionable or anything. It's just I at the end of it, I was just like, it, it, you've got to you've got to enjoy it for the journey where you get to is not very satisfactory. And the journey for me was like sort of, eh. So that's why it's sort of a moderate thumbs down. But it, it, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like awful or anything like that. Right. And you don't even know if it's over because at the end of every episode, she's like, I'd like to make one more episode. 
So it could just go on forever. (laughs) Yeah, I'm telling you. Laura's so excited about it. Mm. All right, well, I'm sorry to say I also give it a thumbs down. I think Laura Bricker has some accent and location bias going on here. Um, I think this, if, if framed differently and more transparently, could have been a much better podcast. There's some very good stuff in this podcast. I love, for example, the scenes with Rosita and the medical examiner where he's showing her the samples and he's showing her the forensic stuff. I love when she's talking to cops and they're telling them exactly like what they found and what's happening. I love her interviews with witnesses. If this podcast had been framed as Rosita saying, guys, there's a thing that I am obsessed with and you're going to come with me on my journey as I try to find the answer to this question but it's framed as like a bigger investigation mm-hmm. and that belies what the actual content is, which is a minor mystery of a person who seemingly died on purpose and maybe wanted to do so anonymously. So for that reason, I'm giving it a thumbs down mostly for framing and because it literally sounds exactly like the Black Tapes podcast <laughs> in a way that I could not escape from. Kevin, what about you? I'm going to be a slight thumbs down as well. I think... Just kind of like with The Queen or with This Land, there's sort of a, a very sort of low-key production style, and you're pretty much relying heavily on the quality of the actual story and how well you can tell that story. I think they do an okay job, but again, is this you know the kind of thing where they say, oh yeah, this is something you definitely have to listen to because you're really going to get something out of it? I, I don't think so. In the end, it's kind of, you know... The you know interesting thing is, hey, they found him drowned wearing his clothes and his underwear yeah. over his clothes. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Now it's time for my favorite part of this little podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. Annie Durham put up security cameras around her house to record any criminal activity. That's just what they did when fire tore through her neighbor's abandoned house in Dell City, Oklahoma, last week. After knocking down the flames, arson investigators determined the blaze was no accident. That's why they wanted Annie Durham's security video. After some stonewalling, Annie finally turned over the tape, which shows her, Annie, throwing a burning towel over the fence and into the neighbor's window. 
An earlier recording from her own security camera captures her firing a handgun into that <laughs> same building. <laughs> Authorities say Annie Durham and the neighbor have had a long feud over the condition of the empty property, which have been attracting drug dealers and users and vagrants. Looks like the video system Annie put in place to protect herself, she instead used to incriminate herself. So, panel, here's my question for you. This woman forgot to turn off the camera before starting the fire. What other mistakes did she make? On camera. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, she left the receipts for the gasoline on the kitchen counter. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Toby? What other mistakes did Annie Durham make as a nasty neighbor with a camera problem? I'm not for sure on this, but I'm hoping those weren't Brooklyn and towels. <laughs> oh, Ooh, that I'm would hoping be so sad. too, because that would be crime of the week. A huge mistake. Double. Kevin Flynn. would be the most luxurious Molotov cocktail ever thrown. The most luxurious cocktail ever. Com- Ever. Uh Kevin, what about you? What other mistakes did Annie Durham make on camera as a nasty neighbor? Look, her mistake was she uploaded this video to her news feed and not to her story. (laughs) She just didn't get the difference between the two. Excellent point. Yeah. All right. We should probably end on that note before we do. Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We have a dog of the week this week. Yes. In honor of our upcoming trip to Chicago next week. It's a little bit of a flashback to our podex where we met the lovely Jessica Galvin, who won our tickets. And Jessica, I had no idea when I met her, and I feel bad that I didn't know this part of her story. So she's nominating her little dog, Watson, who recently turned two as Dog of the Week. She says he's as dumb as they come. <laughs> lick, lick windows, run into walls, kind of dumb, bless his heart. But yesterday, which was the, and this is the part I wish I had known when I met her, um, it was the anniversary of her husband's death. Mm. Oh. And she never gets emotional at home. And this perpetually oblivious, stupid dog never left her side all day, which is unusual. She was working. He curled up on her feet and he went to sleep on her foot. And she sent me many pictures of this. Uh, she went to work out. He stayed by her. And dogs just seem to know things. And so he was kind of like an emotional support animal. So please consider my 15-pound half Shih Tzu, half Bichon. Fully derp pop Watson as cat of the week for being such a sweetheart when I needed it most. So, oh, Jessica, thank you for sending it. And I wish I had known this when I met you. And um, I love his little birthday hat that he has, by the way, because he seems oblivious to the hat. By the way, dogs know. They know. They even know yeah. if you have a goddamn stuff nose. They know. Yeah. Laura Bricker, if you want people to send their nominations for their pets to be cat or dog or support hero of the week, how can they find you online? Um, they can find me at Laura Bricker on Twitter. And Joey Ball, if people want to reach out to you and say, hey, you were right about everything you said on this week's Crime Writers On podcast. How can they find you online? <laughs> if they want to say that, they can find me at Toby Ball on H. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and reinforce that your voice is not in fact damaged, it is in fact sexy, how can they find you online? You can find me at Kevin B. Flynn. At Peter Brady. I shouldn't have done that. That's Kevin P. Flynn. <laughs> Ladies. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow this stupid podcast on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the amazing and not stupid community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. By the way, thanks to Molly and Jim for sending us those pineapples from Hawaii. Mm. Big fans of the podcast, and they're in our Facebook group. Support the show on Step Patreon. Up, Georgia. <laughs> 
<laughs> we want some damn peaches. <laughs> Support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will get the Crime Writers on After Show, Mary with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast right now. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, and before that known as the closet in our basement where I frequently write poems about the sunset visage of my own golden man, Kevin Flynn. (laughs) On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Goodbye. Goodbye, Will. Yeah. Oh, we need a pop filter. Yeah, I have you one, do. Need a pop filter, mother... I, I <laughs> had one right. until somebody... Will took it, I think. <laughs> Want us to send you another one? <laughs> what do you think, Kevin? What do you think? pop filter. You gotta put the ones that go over your microphone. Laura's son is ruining our podcast. If I was a betting person, he says. On purpose? Mm-hmm. Yes. You're, you're getting a window into my world right now. It's cool. If I was a betting person, he says, tell him it should be if I were a betting person. Uh, yeah. And then he calls me the grammar police. But it is, by the way, Kevin, am I right? If I were a betting if person. If I were, yeah. Okay. Adios, Will. Go out with your father and go see what's happening outside. Adios, Will, but you're not wrong about your mom's pop filter. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay.